0: Welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show here on BYU Radio that is all about shining a spotlight on all things good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson, and, oh, coal is nowhere to be seen, so I guess I'm all by myself. Wait a minute, I do see somebody sitting across from me, I wonder who it is. (laughs) If his face didn't give him away, then that music (laughs) certainly would. That's Rod Gustafson. Rod, welcome back to Screen Cleaning.
1: I'm so happy to have the cocktail party introduction there. That's really nice. Thank you. Thank you, (laughs) Jeff.
0: We are excited to have you on the program because today is a very special show. Every once in a while, we will do what is known as our Hall of Fame show. Which means we really dive deep into a couple of movies that mean quite a lot to us. We've already done a couple of these shows already. In the first Hall of Fame show that we did, Cole's favorite, his inductee into the Hall of Fame, was Spider-Man 2, which surprised (laughs) me uh, against my – we weren't pitting him against each other. But the film I brought to that episode was Lars and the Real Girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That i sorry. You win that one. Hands down. <laughs> and again, not that this next one was a battle either. But the next version that we did, uh, Cole brought the film Babe, which mm-hmm. was nominated for Best Picture back when you only had five it, nominees. Probably
1: the first talking animal movie that was really, really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie I brought in that episode was Dave, starring oh, yes. Kevin Kline. Uh-huh. Two movies that featured these characters that were kind of fish out of water and uh, really both charming, delightful films. And today we've got another couple of great ones. This time we're going with a couple of films that could be construed as crime dramas, mm-hmm. very... Uh, kind of mild thrillers if you will. Yep. Mine could even be considered a dark comedy mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. But Rod, I'm actually going to turn some time over to you first to talk about the film that you are inducting into the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame, and this is a film that I had only seen once when it first came out, and I'll let you I'll let you tell when it came out, but I remember thinking, "Wow, that was that was much lower key than I thought it would be. But when I watched it again last night, I
1: I really enjoyed
0: it much more than I did the first time. Well,
1: good. I'm, I'm glad I could bring you back to Breach because <laughs> Breach, which released in uh, 2007, is, yeah, this is the film I wanted to pick and talk about. And when when you asked me to join you on the show today, Jeff, you said, try and find a film that's been a little bit underrated and maybe forgotten. and. And I believe that was this one because we are used to when we hear about espionage and spy movies and double agents, we always think James Bond and loss of action and everything. But Breach doesn't have a lot of action. But what I really, really love about Breach is, and I'm a sucker for this, based on a true story. Now, I need to say, first of all, I love movies that are based on reality. I really do. That probably is yeah, I, I guess my favorite, if you will, is genre, although that can cross many genres, of course. But when I see the words based on a true story come up, as you know, you're sitting in the theater and the lights go down, the screen goes dark, and then you see those words come up, I always scoff. Sure. And I go, oh, yeah, right. You and have to take it with what, a... What true story? A, you have to take it
0: with a bucket of salt uh-huh, instead you of just a bet. grain of salt. A
1: bucket of salt is Right but the amazing thing about the movie breach is after i watched it i scurried home hopped on the internet and thought no that that can't be true i'd never heard of this guy and, uh, which we're going to explain a little more about in a minute, but I found out not only is it true, but they left a lot of stuff out that they could have put in there that would have even been more like, seriously, this really happened. So let's talk about Breach. Breach is the, the true story of an FBI agent gone rogue called, his name was Robert Hansen. Among and, other things. It, right? Among <laughs> other things. That's right. Because he had a lot of other names that he used to work by. And, uh, Hansen's story was he started working for the FBI in about 1976. Well, after three years on the job, he approached the, uh, the USSR at that time, the Soviet Union, and said, hey, how would you guys like to cut a deal and I'll feed you guys some information? Uh, and um, they, by the way, they never really knew who he was in all the years he did this. But anyhow, so that approach was made. Of course, they said yes. And so he started selling secrets to the Soviet Union in 1979, and he did that for about three years. That's when the first uh, cycle happened. And then he came back again in 1985 and was selling secrets again until the USSR collapsed. And then he came back a third time just a couple of years after that, now that the USSR is is Russia. And... um he was still he was still uh, t- selling them uh, U.S. confidential information until he was arrested finally, and uh, that happened in I believe I should have wrote the date down, but in I think it was February of two thousand and one, and so he is credited for lack of a better term in- term infamous for probably causing the most expensive and biggest information leak and spy scandal in the United States history. And that cost the government literally um, Mm – some some have even said well into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And and in fact, there's a priceless component to this as well where – yeah and this is this is the thing when you're dealing with a true story v- base versus fiction where at least 3 men were killed because of this guy they were uh KGB agents that were here in the United States working uh with the American government and uh he um and he uh outed them so to speak and they were sent back to the Soviet Union or to Russia and they were executed there shortly after their return back so um, this guy, Robert Hansen, really did cause a lot of harm to the security of the United States. But, of course, when you get into the movie, it really becomes an amazing look at at how they figured this out. And that comes down to another guy. He, who His name was Eric O'Neill. And he was a young intelligence agent. I promise I'll get to the movie in a minute. <laughs> We're talking about the real people at the moment. He was a young intelligent a- intelligence agent who was about 27 years old, if you can imagine. And he wow. was placed to try and shadow, to shadow Robert Hansen and figure out what was going on. So now to the movie. Robert Hansen is played by Chris Cooper. You know, Chris is one of those actors that... He's won one Oscar. Can't remember what movie it was for. Adaptation. Thank you. Adaptation. That was the film. And, uh, which, and he's just one of those actors that I think deserves a whole lot more. I'm glad he's got an Oscar on his shelf. But he just always comes across whenever I see Chris in a role where, you know, you feel like he is truly always giving his all. He's a very consistent performer and always brings a lot of you know, a lot of extra between the lines if you will feel to the characters that he's portraying and he certainly does this in this movie in a big oh, way Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> and it's interesting I have I have so much to say about this film because I, as I mentioned the first time I saw it, I guess I didn't get it. I I may not have known as much about the real story or appreciated just how true to the real story it is. Right. And, you know, you talk about all the resources that went into getting this guy. Five, they, had, they had a team of over 500 people working to catch this guy. Yeah. Yeah. They, they spent at least $7 million getting some information
1: from – A Russian. Yes. You know, there's all this. All this seven million dollar payoff. You saw that. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. Handing over that much money.
0: And what's what's really remarkable to me is as I was watching the 2020 or Nightline story that was included on the DVD about this real life story about this real man, Robert Hansen, was that all of the quotes, all of all of the things that he says in these documents that are, you know. Clearly, we have evidence that he said them. They include all of them in the movie. And I just remember listening to the story, just checking it off the box. Okay, he said that one. He said Mm -hmm. that one. Chris Cooper in this performance is absolutely amazing. So I mentioned earlier that it's the first time I saw it, it kind of felt like a really low key thriller and. You know, it, it, it's certainly not unique in that the trailer for the movie makes it seem more thrilling than it actually is. But really, most of the thrills for me came from Chris Cooper's performance, because just from the second you meet him, you you just know that he's suspicious of everything and everyone. Yeah. And I imagine if you'd been a spy for a couple of decades, you probably would be paranoid and peeking over your shoulder at every point, and he does a fantastic job of that, while at the same time just really manipulating the people around him and getting getting Ryan Philippi, who plays Eric O'Neill, right. to second guess the fact that he's this terrible spy, right? Yes, yes. Oh, he's so good in and this role. And
1: Ryan Philippe as well certainly does a very good performance to playing this young man who basically, just going back to what you said a couple of moments ago about the the amount of money that they spend trying to capture Hanson, they created a fictitious department of the FBI called Information Ass- Assurance. So this is back in roughly two thousand. Um, late two thousand, when the internet is just getting going, and so they they kind of made up this thing that, and today obviously it's not made up at all. They really <laughs> need this department, but where they were worried about um, uh, electronic security and that type of thing, and Hanson was actually a very. Uh, a very capable guy with uh data and computer uh, intelligence and that type of thing, so they they basically they gave him what he saw as being a demotion, but they isolated him in an office in the basement of the building and told him that they wanted to, to him to lead this new project well really what they 're doing is they're they 're setting up a situation where of course, his office now is being it is being bugged probably as much as a as a Soviet embassy would have been bugged <laughs> in the day, and uh, and they are watching him like a hawk. And that's where Eric O'Neill, played by Ryan Filippi, is is brought in on this. Eric O'Neill, a very interesting guy. Um, about five books have been written about this, but he finally was able to get almost everything about this whole event declassified. And just in 2019, he released his own book called Grey Day, which Mm. from what I hear, I really want to read this book because it kind of brings Breach all back again. And uh, people are saying it's just amazing the details in, in there that weren't included in the movie. And probably part of that was not everything, even at the time that the movie was made, was really known about the amount of damage and the secrets that were involved and everything else in this, so so this movie going back to the movie again for a moment we talked about you know Chris Cooper's performance and whatnot, and how that really contributes to this but this film is also a really great example of very capable editing which really brings a great pacing to this film and you see sometimes movies where you know somebody's going to walk into a room and catch somebody and there's a a couple of moments like that in this one but they just don't quite do it right and this one is just it really bang on and very sharp with the editing, and it also has this just really cold kind of a of a you know i well I guess basically the guy's working in the basement and it's meetings and dark nights and around dark corners, which I guess are standard spy movie genre stuff, but in this case though again. You know, I kind of thought, well, they're making this up, but no, it's real stuff, and you know <laughs> right down to the uh the park there's a park in washington d c it may not be right in d c sorry, I'm not familiar with the area it might be just over the border in Virginia, but where he makes these drop offs where the uh Soviet and eventually Russian spies are picking up the information, and uh just all of this even though it is your regular, usual spy movie stuff, is just really made even better when you realize that most of this actually happened. But they, they work with their material really well, and they really know how to build up the tension, but at the same time not overdoing it to the point where where they really used a lot of, uh, you know, artistic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Jeff? Where they changed Liberties. the fact. Liberties. Yeah. I mean, there are a few things that got moved around in this. One of the things is they show, uh, so Eric O'Neill is, he's newly married to, to a woman who's from East Germany originally, which is interesting, and that is fact. And... Um, And of course, this really gets Hansen. You can tell his ears are already perking up that he's married to a woman (laughs) from East Germany. The other thing is Chris Hansen was a very devout Catholic, and uh, Eric Eric O'Neill was kind of a, you know, not all that devout Catholic, his wife not at all. And so that is brought into this as well, is Hansen's uh, somewhat, even at times, hyper-religiosity. And, you know, many people have have questioned about whether, you know, you know, that was a result of him feeling guilty over what he was doing. Well, uh, the
0: first shot of the movie is Chris Cooper uh, in a church yes, praying, and it yeah. looks like he's praying his heart out for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so they really, I, I guess this movie. I respect it because it respects the facts and the information that is built on. The other thing in one of the interviews I found with Chris Cooper is he says that they tried really hard to recognize that um that Hanson's wife she's still alive and well and of course she did catch him once Uh, way back in the early days, she discovered that he was making money off of secrets, and so she told him he had to go and repent. Mm. And he told her that he had and that he wasn't doing that anymore. So by the time this whole thing unfolds, she is blindsided by this, and of course she's still alive, and as all of this is unfolding and everything else, you know, Chris Cooper said that uh, they really wanted to be sensitive to the family and recognize just how difficult this was to them. So I I appreciate that this movie also took that into.
0: But the account. amount of detail, as you said, that they went into this movie is just amazing. Even down to, I mean, there's a whole subplot where he's a, a deviant, we'll just say. Yes. I haven't yeah. found anything that substantiates that in real life. However, what I did read online is that he actually did have this fixation or this crush. On the actress Catherine Zeta-Jones. Zeta-Jones, yeah. And so, yes. in the movie, as they're taking apart his car, looking for all sorts of clues, they find not only do they find thumbtacks and uh, medical tape, which are actually items that he would use to clue the Russians that I've planted the mm-hmm. planted the yep. files that you you know, and then they would they would take the piece of tape and move it from uh, vertical to horizontal. But even beyond that stuff, they found DVDs of Entrapment and The Mask of Zorro in his car. (laughs) And sure enough, Eric O'Neill, the real Eric O'Neill, had said that, yeah, he would often walk in on uh, Robert Hansen in his office and he would just be watching Catherine zeta jones movies. So just the amount of detail is crazy. And going back to what you said at the very beginning – you always have to take that based on a true story yeah. with a huge grain of salt, and there there are actually levels of that, right? Mm-hmm. So the really bold ones will say, "This is a true story," yes. right? And even then, you know, the Coen brothers have used that before, and it's completely false, yeah. right? Yeah. So this and is a true story. So yes, based on a true story, inspired, inspired. by actual events. <laughs> you know, the 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 further away from that that true statement you get, you know, you're going away from what actually happened, but this actually stays pretty
1: close to the truth through yeah. and through. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's a solid film. There's only a couple of things that they changed from reality that I wish they hadn't. Uh, Eric O'Neill says that his last words to Hanson, I think it was on a Friday after work. It, it, and Hanson was, uh, was, uh, arrested on a Sunday morning. So like, this is like a day and a half prior. And, uh, and hansen says something about well have a good weekend and uh, and eric says to him yeah i'll catch you later <laughs> and he, he intended that to uh to be that way and then uh, when they arrest hansen in the movie he says there's no need for guns in reality hansen said to them what took you so long <laughs> right and uh, that's <laughs> and I thought, interesting why didn't they have that in the movie right so. because
0: that would have really highlighted the fact that man if if you were looking over your shoulder for 25 years or whatever it was, I th- I would imagine there would be some sort of relief after finally getting caught. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And I think it really is a cat and mouse game, too, where I think the more that they found out about handsome was that – you know, he enjoyed the chase. You start doing that, you know, you enjoy getting away with this, even though it's highly illegal and it's putting people at danger, your country at danger. But the, it becomes a game in in his mind. So, yeah. And by the way, Eric O'Neill was heavily involved in the production of this movie. He was a consultant on the script, and which I think really helps bring that around. He's yeah. um he's doing uh, motivational speaking now and whatnot. He's working in cybersecurity or something, and and the guy's still. What he was born in, uh, I think 72, 73, something like that. So, I mean, like, he's still relatively young. It's that was the other thing that amazed me is just how young he was when this happened. Like, I don't know what you were doing at 27 years old, but I wasn't trying to catch the biggest spy in America.
0: I was trying to catch my wife. Well, I was 25 at the time, but and I did. I caught her. I had to chase her all the way up to Seattle and uh, closer to your neck of the woods. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it worked out. I didn't have to con <laughs> her or anything. It just it worked out. Uh, but what I love about this, too, is it, it's such an understated movie. It doesn't follow a lot of the same tropes and stereotypes that you'll see in a typical cat and mouse thriller, right? And yeah. I do that in quotations because it's not your run-of-the-mill thriller. Again, the, the thrills really come from the performances. They don't try to manipulate you with the soundtrack, They don't – there are very few scenes where you're on the edge of your seat. And you mentioned a couple of them where Ryan Phillippe is trying to put something back in the same place where he found it before Chris Cooper comes back into the room. But another one of the lines that to me in a a stereotypical cat and mouse thriller, once they catch the bad guy, you would probably have one of the superiors saying – We finally got you, you scumbag, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that, you know, something that where the audience might be throwing up their fists and saying, yes, this is not one of those movies where you're celebrating the fact that he gets caught. You echo the feelings of Dennis Haysbert's uh, character in the film Mm -hmm. as they're loading Chris Cooper into the van, not to spoil anything, but this is a true story, so you could look it up. Yep. Chris Cooper says something to Dennis Haysbert that I can't remember, but Dennis Haysbert says this is a sad day for all of us. Yeah, so yeah. acknowledging the fact that among all those terrible things that he did, there was a lot of good that yeah. that uh, that Robert Hansen did for his country as well and that they don't take any pleasure in sending this guy You know, at that point, it was unknown whether or not he was going to be given the death sentence or just be sentenced to life in prison. It ended up being the latter because he cooperated with the FBI and the authorities. And so, yeah, it it was interesting to see that, yeah, this is not something that they take pleasure in doing and in ruining a man's life, even though this man ruined many other lives.
1: Yeah, well, especially this is a work cohort and somebody who right. I believe for some time was well-respected in, the, in their community. So, by the way, he's serving his time in that Supermax prison in Colorado, one of the, uh, well, I believe it is the most secure prison in the United States. And when you look at the list of people that are in there with him, like, it's a list of people that movies have been made about, you know, really, wow. really... Just it, it, bad dudes that have that are almost in the common vernacular. They're that they're that well known. So interesting place. They're held in isolation and uh, it's quite the prison. And if so, the
0: the epilogue is to be believed, he's in isolation for mm-hmm. twenty three hours yes, a day. Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess you know, on good behavior, you may get that reduced. I have no idea where he's at at this point, but he will he will most likely spend the rest of his life in that prison.
0: I'm glad you brought up Chris Cooper because he's certainly just one of those hardworking, fly under the radar Mm -hmm. performers that certainly has gained more notoriety over the years, especially after the Oscar win. And, you know, he was in the Bourne movie. Yeah. And he— October
1: Sky. I love him in October Sky playing the father. He
0: usually is uh, this—he usually plays a despicable person. Yeah. I I really enjoyed his performance in uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because Mm, he does start out as this person that— is really kind of a rotten father, yeah. but he is able to redeem himself in a way through the course of the movie. And it's it's refreshing to see that because I would imagine as if you're that kind of an actor, people might give you this stink eye every time they see you in real life, not knowing that, you know, that's probably not what that person is like, right? Yes. And yes. so it is good every once in a while to see him... Play characters that have good qualities, and are, they're not terrible people, right?
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and what was interesting, I'm trying here to find the quote, but I'll just paraphrase in one of the interviews I read about uh, that I read where they interviewed him about breach, and they asked about you know kind of his onset relationship with uh, with Ryan and, and whatnot, and he said, you know, he says. We get along just fine. I get along fine with people like Ryan, and then you mentioned Jake Gyllenhaal as well in October Sky, who uh, plays his son, and the father and son relationship is very, very strained. Yeah. But he says it's important to him that we don't become buddy buddy off camera. That we, he says, I he says it's hard for me to do, but I still want to keep that kind of like. A little bit method. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, and even in the interviews that where I read, and I'm just reading these in print. You know, you can still tell that there's that kind of Chris Cooper aesthetic, if you will, or whatever you want to call it, that's going on in the back there. So. And so he really seems to be able to keep himself in that mindset. And uh, and the other thing, too, with Breach, he said that he he's very modest. He says, the only reason I got the part was, uh, it sounds like he knew a guy. He was the first person to see the script. He says, usually I want to read a script four or five times before I'll take a part. But he says, I read this once. He says, I got on the phone immediately and said, I will take this. I want this. And then it turns out when word got out about this movie, there were a number of other actors that wanted the part that were saying, well, you know, come on, give me a shot. And they said, no, we're sticking with Chris.
0: Well, I'm super grateful that you're inducting Breach into the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame because this is a movie itself like Chris Cooper that could fly under the radar if you don't look closely enough Made for twenty three million, only made forty one million yep. worldwide. Yeah, not so much. This is a movie to check out for sure. A lower key thriller, but you'll find plenty of thrills in Chris Cooper's and, performance. And I
1: just need to put on my parent hat really quick. There is some scenes of basically, there's some sexual deviancy things issues that come up in his character, and so yeah, it's rated PG thirteen. Heed the PG thirteen and be prepared. There's a couple of moments of um, of of that. Going going on in this as well we see a very brief glimpse of, of a pornographic video with no detail but there is there is that alluded to in the in the story
0: Well, if Robert Hansen was one of the most successful spies in U.S. history, one might consider him a con man of sorts. (laughs) Which is interesting because when we return here on Screen Cleaning, we will be talking about my choice for the inductee into the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame, which just happens to be a con man movie. And we'll tell you what it is when we return. If you don't recognize that, I'm not going to spoil it right off the bat and tell you what it's from, but that is the theme from the movie that I want to discuss now that we're back here on screen, cleaning the Hall of Fame edition with our special guest, Rod Gustafson. Rod, welcome back. Hey, good to be here. I'm excited about this one, Jeff. Well, you should be, Rod, because this is, in my opinion, one of the greatest Con men movies out there. And I was so delighted when I discovered this. This is not a movie that I saw when it was out in the movie theaters. And just like Breach, this is another movie that didn't make very much money. In fact, it made even less money when you take into account the budget than Breach did. It was made for sixty-two million dollars. I have no idea why this movie would cost sixty-two million dollars. Editing—that's my guess. <laughs> maybe, um, or Nick. Maybe Nicholas Cage's. Yeah, oh, I may have given away something Ooh. there. Uh, maybe We're his salary. But, maybe it's uh,
1: Ridley Scott's salary.
0: <laughs> maybe it only made sixty-five million dollars on a sixty-two million dollar budget. So this was not. This is what one might call a flop. Mm-hmm. And it's really a shame. Because this is arguably one of my favorite Nicolas Cage performances. Me too. And there are plenty of good Nicolas Cage performances out there. There are probably plenty, uh, plenty of uh, bad He's Nicolas Cage little performances hit and miss, out but there. But this
1: one's off the charts.
0: Absolutely. So it's interesting. We're going to talk about another con man movie later on, and more particularly the book, um, but. This is a movie that originally was going to be directed by Steven Spielberg. So you wonder, would this movie have made any more money in the hands of Steven Spielberg? Well, his con man movie that he turned this one down for was Catch Me If You Can, and that one did quite well. So one can only imagine what Steven Spielberg would have done with this movie. But I have no complaints about how this movie was directed, as you said, by Ridley Scott, how it was executed, how it was scripted. Certainly not how it was acted. The editing is fantastic. And I, I should probably quit stalling because
1: oh, Jeff, this – What movie is it?
0: <laughs> I'll tell you this. It's based on a book by Eric Garcia, and the name of the book is called Matchstick Men. Right. And the name of the movie is Matchstick Men, Whoa. starring Nicolas Cage, <laughs> Sam Rockwell, and Alison Lohman. What I love about this film – is the characters and the acting. This is one of those movies that could easily be a play because there are really only about five or six characters in the film. Every other background character is, it's almost like they're blurred out because you're so zeroed in on these main characters. I would love to see this as a play actually, but it's not your typical con man movie. Just like breach is not your typical spy thriller. uh, Matchstick Men stars Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell as these really sleazebag con men duping really innocent people out of their hard-earned cash. And you really do feel bad for some of the characters that they dupe at the beginning of the film. Senior citizens, people that are routinely victims of these sorts of schemes – And what's interesting is that although Sam Rockwell is his charming Sam Rockwell self and uh, it would you could see how easily one would be won over by him. Nicolas Cage, not only does he not really seem to take any satisfaction in duping these people, he sort of seems bored with this life that he's chosen for himself Partly because of some of the mental health issues that he suffers yes. from, and I think he's got a little bit of OCD and he you know has a hard time being in bright rooms and so he's always got the shades drawn and he has these really nervous ticks where he'll he'll just say things like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'll – you know, just – so you wonder, does he have some Tourette's? And there are other scenes throughout the movie that may maybe make you think that he's got Tourette's because of outbursts that he has and mm-hmm. these these verbal tics that he has. But it's just so interesting. You mentioned, Rod, just from the very beginning of the film, the editing really wins you over because you see – just You almost see his mental illness from his viewpoint, and it shines through in the editing, right?
1: It really does. It. it this is a film that if you've—you I, I, know, I've done some editing in my life, and this is a film that when you look at it, there are thousands of edits because whenever they switch to what we would call Nicolas Cage's POV, he, you know, his perspective— yeah. It, it, they try and simulate how the world looks through his eyes, and it is fascinating how they use really, in, in many ways, old-school film techniques with just really heavily sophisticated editing and uh, what we call undercranking, which is an old-fashioned term for speeding up the movie and that type of thing, and uh, wow, wow. And uh, and while I'm while I'm nattering on geeky film stuff, <laughs> the sound design in this film is just for me incredible because, well, as you mentioned, Cage has got this kind of his character has got this OCD thing going on. He's a germaphobe, and he walks across the carpet in his socks, looking for little pieces of whatever might be on the carpet that he can pick up. and And we just when you listen to the sound of this film you can hear all of these textures coming together and whoa it's just great yeah
0: yeah I one thing I wish I certainly don't uh, wish any of these mental illnesses on anybody but sometimes when I get stressed I tend to eat foods that are not very good for me when Nicolas Cage gets stressed out and agitated he pulls out a vacuum and goes to town (laughs) on the carpet right (laughs) so that's a trait that I wish that I had Yes. what's interesting is is you have this man who clearly is not happy with his life and yet uh he is so insistent upon things being clean neat and in order when his life is anything but yeah. right and so uh he thinking you know at least telling himself that my li- i've got things under control my life is in order he is taking medica- various medications he's a chain smoker right <laughs> he's just like, right poor guy so he sees this this new shrink uh played by Bruce Altman, and one of the things that his shrink prescribes among medi- uh, other than medication is that maybe he ought to rekindle his relationship with this estranged daughter that he didn't even know he, he doesn't even know didn't even he know, even know he he she existed yes, right, yes, and so the shrink reaches out to the to the daughter and the mom and um the girl wants to meet Nicolas Cage. So that sends him into this nervous spiral as well. But he's willing to meet her. And little does he know that this young woman is going to change his life in a myriad of ways, yes. right? Yes. And some of which we cannot really divulge
1: here yeah. on the show. But bring a thirteen-year-old teenager into his life, played by, by the way, Allison Lohman, and uh, yeah, it's really amazing just seeing how all of a sudden he he just starts warming up to this to this really a little bit obnoxious girl. <laughs>
0: right, reluctantly at first, but then he, she really starts to win him yeah. over. Yeah. And as you said, the, the making of this film and the casting is really interesting because she waltzes in looking like this 14-year-old girl, and she may have dressed herself in a way that would make herself look younger than mm-hmm. she actually is, but they bought it almost to the point where – They didn't think it'd be a good idea to cast an actual fourteen-year-old girl in the role. Yeah, yeah.
1: They being yes, and we're talking behind the scenes now. Yeah, when they when they were casting for the film. Yeah, exactly. And And how old was Allison? She was about twenty-three years old at the time. So she finally to set their minds at ease.
0: No, actually, I'm twenty-three years old. You can Mm -hmm. cast me. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she utters one of my favorite lines from the film. Uh... I, I'm trying to think of other examples where this type of line creeps up, where you hear it in one context earlier in the film, and then it's swapped and turned around later on in the film and has a completely different meaning. But they're sitting in a restaurant And, you know, she's just eating these horrible foods and it's really surprising because she's this teeny tiny girl that has the smallest waist and this surprises Nicolas Cage and he basically says something, something to the effect of how can you eat like that? You know, like how can you eat a burger and fries and a milkshake? And, and she says, well, uh, if you're going to get wet, you might as well go swimming, <laughs> right? And I don't want to spoil how that line comes up later in the mm-hmm. film twisted a little bit. Yes. Because there are some amazing twists in this film that are going to floor you, that are going to drop your jaws and are going to get you to want to find somebody, anybody who has never seen this film and there are plenty of people that have not seen this film because we talked about the the box office and you're going to want to sit them down and watch this for the the sake of just seeing their reaction when you see some of these twists come to pass Mm -hmm. which is exactly what happened to me when I discovered this film on video I was in a, a dorm with five other roommates and I may have watched it alone and when I saw how this film ended, I got the rest of my roommates together and I said, we got to watch this again. Movies like this that have big twists, a big reveal, um, that's where I get my satisfaction is from watching it with other people and experiencing it for the f- first time with these people that have yes. not seen it before.
1: But it's so hard to keep quiet when you do yes, that, Yes, <laughs> but this is the
0: type of movie that I could sit down and, and revisit every once in a while, even yeah. if I know some of the movie's secrets. Uh, Sam Rockwell, who we already established is somebody that is just so charming that it wouldn't be too difficult to be duped by him. He gives a fantastic performance in this film of just a casual, laid back, couldn't care less, no care in the world, not concerned at all that he might be caught at any corner. Uh, wonderful performance. This was both Nicolas Cage and Sam Rockwell are Oscar winners, and I believe these movies – I know in the case of Sam Rockwell, this is before his Oscar-winning performance in uh, Three Billboards Outside mm-hmm. Ebbing, Missouri, which I was a little surprised he won for that movie. I thought he was more enjoyable and, and oh, yes. compelling in this film than he was in that Definitely. film. But Nicolas Cage was an Oscar winner in 1992 for Honeymoon and not Honeymoon in Vegas, uh, leaving Leaving Las Las Vegas. Vegas. It's easy to get those two confused even though they're completely different movies. But Nicolas Cage, getting back to Nicolas Cage's performance, this is an absolutely bonkers Nicolas Cage performance. But in all the best ways possible, there's certainly bonkers Nicholas Cage performances for the wrong reasons. One could point to the remake of The Wicker Man and yeah. people love to play those scenes on YouTube. But Matchstick Men, the choices that he makes and the ticks that he has, he is perfectly cast in this movie and you can't see anybody else playing it off as well as he could. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Jack Nicholson to a degree, but you wouldn't be able to shake the sense that this is Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. So right? here's,
1: here's the key, and I, I have said this so many times in my years of reviewing movies, is that um, if we can feel empathy for a protagonist... It's really, really hard for an audience to enjoy and to bond to a movie. And that's what you deal with when you're dealing with protagonists who are dark people— and sometimes occasionally you're able to pull that off, but usually it's a failure. But where this movie really wins and where Cage really, really brings the performance home is how he is able to get us to feel empathy for him. We feel empathy for him because of his mental illness, but we also feel empathy for him because of his broken family, his wife leaving him, and then he discovers he has this daughter he's never met. And then as she comes in, into his world and we see how she is able to fix him and help him that that really um we bond to him even more because we suddenly feel like you know he just he needs a family he needs somebody to love him and he wouldn't be this 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 bad guy that he is if only you know all of these bad things hadn't happened to him so We start, you know, we really, and he really brings that across very well in the way that he works through this performance.
0: Absolutely. And I'm I'm right there with you. The greatest thing about this, other than the acting and the twists, is the relationships and the characters that you really come to care about, even though the things that they're doing and the people that they're duping, these are terrible things, but you're really rooting for him to Mm -hmm. turn his life around and... As the movie progresses, he starts making progress and starts to shed some of those things that he relied so heavily on before, and uh, you you get the sense that, okay, things are going quite well for him. So we should mention that while all of this is going on, he and Sam Rockwell are planning, I don't know if it's... The last big heist like so many of these movies have. Yeah. We're going to do one more job and then I'm done. And right? he's
1: reluctant. He doesn't want to do it. <laughs> right.
0: But it's just this big, big score that's just too good to pass by. And again, the the person that they're duping this time is an actor by the name of Bruce McGill, who you feel you really don't feel any sympathy for. And you're kind of OK with these two guys, uh, you know, ripping this guy off because he's kind of this rich sleazebag, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell, and this is one of the reasons is PG thirteen, because their meeting place of choice happens to be in a gentleman's club, we'll say. And so yes. this little is,
1: warning on this scene, parents. Right.
0: Yes. Bruce McGill is certainly not somebody you're rooting for in this film. But again, he gives a great performance, and I I would love someday, as I've already said, I would love to see this as a play because it's such a small, intimate film with only a handful of actors, which is why I'm so surprised that it was made for 65 or $62 million because I'm yeah. not quite sure where it went. But you're not going to complain because the quality of the film is just through the roof. And so – You know, with any big score, things don't always go according to plan, and to say much more than that about the plot would be criminal. Yeah,
1: yeah, would be criminal, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) And, yes, and, you know, and this happens so often, doesn't it, in these con movies where we just want to do one more job, just one more job, and yeah, yeah. Don't do it, guys. So this is a movie you
0: definitely want to check out, and if you do, please don't spoil anything for people that you're watching it with who have never seen it because that's really where your repeat viewing is going to give you the most pleasure is just experiencing it with people that have never seen it
1: before. And the repeat viewing, the reason it works well with this movie, and I must have been like, I really like, uh, you know, the movie we were talking about, Breach, that we were talking about in the first part of this show – um, but Breach is one of those films kind of that once you've watched it once, I enjoyed watching it again. And I've probably watched it three or four times. But Matchstick Men is one of those movies from a filmmaking. I, this is what I'm really trying to say, Jeff. Breach has got a great story. It's got very good filmmaking. Matchstick Men, of course, fictitious story. But it's got. it's a film that has layers. And meaning that every time you watch it, you can see things that you Absolutely. didn't pick up the first time, and that's what makes a repeatable movie for me. Where it's fun to go, oh, I didn't notice that little clue, or I didn't notice, you know, when you know, and and many characters have those in this in this movie, but Cage especially is given lots of opportunity to just plant little seeds that you go back and go oh that's why he did that and then again going back to the nerdy filmmaking on this this is a this is a great film if you want to go to film school watch this movie and look <laughs> at how they use camera angles cinematography how they use uh, color temperature and lighting to cast shadows and uh, Cage's character, one of the things he deals with is, um, he, he deals with, he, he doesn't like being in wide open spaces. I can't remember all the psychological names for this, but he also deals with bright lights um, where he lives in the dark most of the time. And so when somebody opens a window, he just kind of melts down and that type of thing. And uh, and so the way they use lighting in this film, lighting almost becomes an antagonist. It almost becomes the enemy yeah. in Cage's life and that type of thing and so it's just it's really cool and then you know once this 14-year-old i can never remember if she was 13 14 but this young teenager comes into his life and she starts dropping crumbs of food on the <laughs> carpet and you see him start to you think he's he starts unraveling but then he kind of pedals back and realizes hey maybe i need some of this and so there's just a lot of cool things that you can it's like a good painting where you can stare at it and the longer you stare at it you see more and more things. That's yeah. what I appreciate about this film.
0: And it's not the typical movie that you would think Ridley Scott would direct. No, you know, he's he's got these big budget movies, these sci-fi thrillers, yes. these, you know, edge of your seat thrillers and it's a very subdued, intimate Quiet movie. Yes. And you wouldn't guess that Ridley Scott is the director.
1: By the way, I was surprised Ridley Scott... And when I read this after i had already picked Breach, I thought, okay, next time. That's the other movie I want to do. So a little giveaway. Mark Felt in 2017, Ridley Scott directed that. Mark Felt was the guy that was uh, by the code name of Deep Throat who gave away the Watergate story yeah. to the Washington Post, played by Liam Neeson. Another Ridley Scott movie that... It did even less than Matchstick Men did. It's a super solid movie, but it's it's not your typical Ridley Scott movie. So there are... And what I do appreciate about Ridley Scott, he's obviously a director who's got these little projects in the back of his head where sure. he thinks... I want to do that. And um so
0: I'll go off and yeah. do Gladiator or Alien and
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and watching um watching the uh, extra features on my old Matchstick Men DVD last night where Ridley Scott had a few m- months before I can't remember it was some other big movie he was working on and so they did Matchstick Men in very short in a short compressed amount of production time. Was it Kingdom of Heaven? Yes, I think so i think it was but it was some other humongous you know big budget film and they got matchstick men pulled together quite rapidly and uh yeah it, it's just a it's a gem of a little movie and again putting on my parent hat yes the stripper scene parents, it's unfortunate that it's in there. They could have really had those conversations in a bar yeah. without having all the wallpaper in there as well. And that's but again, unfortunate, but maybe very they film.
0: Maybe they did it so that right off the bat, you have zero empathy for Bruce uh, yes. McGill's character. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. He's a real bag. And the other thing that's interesting about Nicolas Cage's character is he doesn't even really notice the strippers. The guy is just so he's more concerned <laughs> about how much dirt's on the floor and everything else that's going on, you can tell he is super uncomfortable being in this sleazy place.
0: Yes. Uh, you know, Rod, I can't resist. I I am going to tell you the inverse of that line that I shared earlier. <laughs> I don't think it gives too much away, but so earlier in the film, Alison Lohman says the line, if you're, uh, if I'm going to get wet, might as well go swimming. Right? I won't say who utters the inverse of the line later on in the film, but it's twisted around to say, if you're going to go swimming, you're going to get wet. Mm-hmm. And oh, that line pays off in such a wonderful way later it on does. in the film. So check out Matchstick Men, check out Breach. Both movies that really ought to have done much better than they did, but uh, they are certainly worth talking about here on Screen Cleaning and good enough to be inducted into the Screen Cleaning Hall of Fame. And when we return, I am going to do a little panning for good and talk about a book that is also based on a con man and also based on a true story. I bet you can't wait to know what it is, although you probably won't be too surprised when you do find out. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. We do with each and every show here on Screen Cleaning. We like to end things off by doing a little panning for good. And we can't talk about spy thrillers and con men movies without talking about another very good movie, Catch Me If You Can. But more importantly, the source material for Steven Spielberg's directed Catch Me If You Can, and that is the book of the same title by Frank Abagnale Jr., the man at the heart of this story, One of the greatest con men to ever live or at least one of the greatest cinema con men based on an actual story. Now, certainly, Steven Spielberg takes quite a bit of liberties in the making of Catch Me If You Can and to the point where the real Frank Abagnale Jr. has admitted that it's a it's a movie. It's just a movie, folks. But There are also some creative liberties that you can imagine are taken with the book itself. I don't want to tell you which ones are real and which ones are not. I'll let you dissect that and look those up online. But what's fantastic about this book is that it is so entertaining to the point where I might actually prefer it to Steven Spielberg's movie. And this is a, a book that just takes so many twists and turns, and it does not end in the way that you think it might. So I definitely recommend picking up a copy of Catch Me If You Can. It's a book that I've read multiple times and a book that will just leave you shaking your head and Your jaw will drop in so many delightful ways that I can't believe this guy did it. Now, uh, keep in mind that it was written with a ghostwriter, so it was probably a situation where the ghostwriter interviewed Frank Abagnale Jr. a few times and then just wrote a really compelling story. But nonetheless, there's no denying the fact that some of these uh, cons that this guy pulled were just really really innovative and clever. And I love the fact that he never really tried to dupe normal people, not to say that, you know, going after these banks and institutions, uh, people, these institutions that are insured is, you know, a good thing, certainly against the law. But what's really remarkable is that the end of this story has a happy ending in that Frank Abagnale Jr., he becomes uh, a consultant to the FBI to help them capture people just like him and helping them figure out how these con men are working the system and getting away with these really big heists. So check out the book Catch Me If You Can. You won't regret it. And again, like I said, it does not end the way you think it might, knowing what the actual story is in the end. Once again, I want to thank my special guest on the show today, Rod Gustafson, who is a staple here at BYU Broadcasting and a frequent contributor to Screen Cleaning. We certainly appreciate his efforts and uh, reminding me of a wonderful movie in Breach. So check out Breach and Matchstick Men. Until next week, I'm Jeff Simpson. You can catch us each and every week here on BYU Radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, or check us out on the podcast Just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast, and there you will find over a 100 episodes of Screen Cleaning, the show that is all about shining a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. And we'll see you next week.